Hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm AJ, here to present our guest speakers, Katie and Catherine, the incredible creators of the 411k podcast. Katie and Catherine met at work in management consulting. They quickly bonded over a shared frustration with the lack of financial literacy and systemic barriers professional women face. Despite advising some of the world's largest financial institutions, they did not feel their formal education or training had prepared them to financially adult in their personal lives. They realized when women are afraid to talk about money, it costs us way more. So they started the 411k, a weekly podcast empowering, empowering professional women by promoting financial literacy and wellness. The 411k is a community for women by women. Catherine and Katie talk money and careers with experts and share their personal financial lessons in an approachable and shame-free way. By day, Katie works in regulatory compliance while she pursues her MBA, total rock star. And Catherine is a senior manager at a big four firm while she juggles a husband and two kids during COVID. I cannot wait for you to listen to their money stories. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we're so excited to be here today with the hosts of the 411K. We're here with Katie and Catherine. Welcome. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to chat with you, um, hear your money stories, and hear about your partnership too, and kind of what got you excited to to start this podcast and this business. Uh, So we can honestly dive right in. I would love to hear both of your money stories, how you got to where you are today. Catherine, you want to go first? <laughs> okay, fine. Fine, put it on me. <laughs> I've got, I've got a, no, I've got a screaming kid in the background. You go. <laughs> <laughs> this is how our episodes actually go. That's a, that's a fair reason. And I'll go on mute. I'll go on mute. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can start by just going through each of our money stories. And then by the time you hear about how we ended up partnering up it's going to sound like a dating story so it's going to go great but (laughs) (laughs) that makes perfect sense yeah it's perfectly (laughs) fine um but I was thinking a lot about the money story because you know we obviously have like our bios that we you know put out into the world for our podcast um but I wanted to like take it a little bit further back for my actual money story so like I consider at first you know when I left college and I like actually had a job that I could support myself, that's usually like, you know, the start of my money story, but uh, money stories actually are, you know, impacted by your experiences as a child. So a lot of my money story, I think actually comes from my parents and my experience interacting with money with them. Um, So I grew up, you know, in a middle-class, like white suburban neighborhood. Um, I would say it was, I was, very privileged in a lot of ways. Um, But I think it's interesting because both of my parents came from very different money backgrounds. My mom came from money. So she had like no worries about spending. And, you know, no matter what, it was just kind of like, we'll figure it out. Just do what you want and we'll, the money will come. And my dad did not come from a lot of money. And he really drove home the idea that you have to hustle and work really, really hard. Um, And he still to this day will say like, he will work until the day he dies. Like retirement is not a thing that like even existed in his mindset growing up. So it's really interesting when I think about like growing up with both of those mindsets um, in our house 
it really did shape sort of the way that I do think about money. So I think you're supposed to like allowed legally to start working at like 16, but I started like at 15 or 12 or whatever, you know, like the first (laughs) job that you could possibly give me, I was doing it. Like I've also done pretty much any job under the sun, like ice cream scooper to a golf cart girl to, you know, babysitter. Like I've done it. Let's do it. Waitress. We got it. (laughs) I will hustle. (laughs) I think our families are extremely similar. Like the dynamic with the the mom and dad and even the, my first job was also an ice cream scooper. So I feel you. (laughs) Yes. I love it fascinating there we've talked to so many people and it's like the ones who are so passionate about being entrepreneurs or getting their Mm -hmm. finances in order all worked really young so I think there's something to that maybe there is yeah and like I do think it's interesting because I think Catherine and I we shared a lot of this um background as well which is like um we were taught though as much as we were supposed to like work at an early age and work and like work for what you have I think a big difference is that that influence from my mom was like, well, that money that I earned is for me to do whatever I want. I don't have to like pay my rent. I don't have to like worry about saving that money for school. Like that money is for me to go to the mall on Saturday with my friends and do whatever I want. And so a really big thing that, you know, I think set me up for a little bit of financial missteps as an adult was like, um, you know, that money is fun money. So when I finally get my big girl paycheck post-college with my finance degree in consulting and my parents say, oh my gosh, great salary. Good job. You did it. I'm like, you said free pass to do whatever I want with that money. So for the entire first year after college, it was like, I had fun money and savings. I knew that was like a thing I should probably worry about. But like in my head, all of that money that I worked so hard for was like work hard, play hard money. So I think it was about, you know, a year in where I was looking at the end and I was about to get like my next um, pay raise. And I was like, I have nothing in savings. My parents were able to raise a family of five on this salary. Like how do I have nothing to show for it besides some awesome pictures on my Instagram account? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting when I start thinking back and thinking about like those influences and where it comes in today. And I really, you know, that's probably around when I met Catherine and we started, you know, getting, having these conversations where it's like, why doesn't why don't people talk about this why don't people talk about money and what you're supposed to be doing with it and where are all these healthy habits that I was supposed to learn you know I learned healthy studying habits but then 23 I'm in the workplace and I have no idea I'm I'm not studying but I have money and I have no idea what to do with it yeah it's it's crazy how we're just not set up for the real world like post-college we are just thrown out there and they're like good luck (laughs) like have fun out there. Yeah, seriously. It's crazy. Um, And when you were like in that first job, were you living at home? Were you paying rent? Like what did that look like? So I think that also has to do with a little bit of maybe my money story or my money mindset. But in my head, I had this idea that um, 
whoever pays for things kind of owns the power over that. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot of like therapy on power dynamics there, but <laughs> um, I, it was my goal to the moment I could like move out and be financially independent. So I will say that first year I, you know, lived on my own. I paid my own rent and I, you know, supported myself with the idea of no savings and all that other like support stuff. But I really do. I had this really innate thing that like, if I live at home, I'm under my parents' rules because they pay for things. I need to be able to fund my basic needs in order for me to control my life. And so there's a lot to going on there with power dynamics and money is so tied to emotional things like power and shame and guilt. And I definitely think that I struggle when it comes to like, okay, I bought it. So it's mine and I have complete control over this thing. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. I think that that's like, I just think that that's true. Who has the money, who has, has the power. And even if you come from such an unconditionally loving family, um, they still have, they have say, they have agency in your life. If you let them have control over your finances. 100%. And I was, I'm so grateful to come from a super loving family that truly gave me every opportunity. Like they paid for my time in undergrad, which truly coming out debt-free is a gift that I will probably never be able to repay them for. But I did, it was always a thing where it was like, we're paying for you to go to school. Therefore, we're the boss during this time. And we're paying for your car. Therefore, we control where the car goes. And it's like, okay, those kind of messages resonate. And I'm picking up that in order for me to take control over my life and do the things that I want, I need to be that moneymaker. And I need to be controlling those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you had a drive to be super independent. Do you know kind of where that came from? That's really interesting. I, (laughs) part of me thinks I'm just super competitive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My very loving family is super competitive, but I think that, you know, when you're sent these messages where someone else is in the driver's seat of your decisions, that to me is, I don't know why that is something that has never been me. I, maybe that's like the entrepreneurial spirit too, which is just like, I know how I want to do something right. And I need to have every power and skill set in my, you know, in my warehouse to use against it. So in some ways that's money, but in a lot of ways, having that financial independence early on really set me up for the financial freedom to make a lot of those money adjustments to now like take care of myself, especially during COVID. Like, uh, I mean, I, I see it a lot with my sisters where, you know, I have a sister who my parents still pay their rent, her rent and she, you know, lost her job during the pandemic and she has been super financially strapped, but it is so interesting. Cause I see that still where it's like, she, she, she understands. She's like, I put myself in this bubble where I was dependent on somebody else and that independence to be like, I do not have to worry about someone else losing their job or funding my life. And therefore I have this freedom to do with it what I need to do right now. 
Yeah, that's such a powerful realization. I think we've all been there to be like, okay, this this needs to be in my control so that I can live my life to the fullest. It's crazy. Yeah, such a true statement. And then during that time when you like were right out of college in that first job, did you go into debt or were you able to kind of make do with what you had and just not save? It is mind blowing. (laughs) when I think back to that first year, because I think there was something like truly wrong with my brain, but maybe every (laughs) 23 year old thinks like this. Like I also thank you, mom and dad. Um, I know I'm talking about you a lot on here, but um, they did not let me get a credit card until uh, after I graduated college. Good for them. They did something right. That was my (laughs) downfall. So I literally, they saved your life, Katie. (laughs) Like, I think genuinely I would be like starting life at like minus 50 K minimum, but (laughs) yeah. So thanks mom and dad, no credit (laughs) to start life off. But I, so 23, I am moving to Boston. I have a big girl job with a big girl salary. I have a credit card in hand. So check out how this dumpster fire goes. Like this is going to go great. <laughs> um, so me and my what girlfriend. What was the from, minimum on the credit card? Um, I think it was 17000 But Whoa. Yeah. Ooh. What do you do with all $17,000? That was my first. Yeah. So like I, actually my first credit card was a $300 limit like in college oh. and then as soon as I graduated it just jumped to like 17,000 is that what it is is it like I once it you're is. not a student oh, you're not a risk that's interesting yeah that's so like predatory lending. Criminal. yeah 1,000 percent 1,000 percent so pretty much with 17,000 to do whatever oh and I was traveling for work so work gave me a credit card so I was like oh fun let's get all the plastic going Then, you know, through work, they're like, oh, have you heard of all these like credit rewards programs? I'm like, tell me about them. (laughs) So immediately got another credit card. So like I had probably within three months of starting my first job, I had three credit cards, one corporate and two personal ones, which that is a a leap and bound from where I was uh, in college six months earlier. And It was, I think the first three months I really needed to like, I was trying to figure it out, but my roommate and I, we took it as like, Boston is our oyster. We are going out for martinis. We are going out like every night. We are spending money at the bars. We are spending money to go to sports games. We're spending money to travel. And then like, it took less than six months later and I was in New York City, I remember, so already in a very expensive city. And I was looking at my credit card statement and I was supposed to go on a trip with my friends that weekend. And I had not even enough to get like a slice of pizza. And so that was the first time that I was like truly going in debt and knowing I was going in debt to go on a trip. And my, you know, my next week when I came back from the trip was when I was gonna get whatever my pay raise was for the next year. And that was truly when I was like, this is not okay. Like I cannot be going in debt over a slice of pizza and a vacation. Like that is not how we do things. And it, I am so grateful that I had a salary that I truly had enough discretionary spending that I could burn. But, and I'm thankful that I did not go into debt, but it was, if I had 
a lower salary and I was in all of these expensive cities, I would have easily been like 10, 20 K in debt for what I was doing. And to be fair, I had a great time, but it was just like that realization that like, I am not going to be okay. If like I lose my job, I'm not going to be able to buy a car if I want to, I'm not going to be able to keep going on these trips if I don't get my shit together. Not sure if I'm allowed to swear on the show. But. Oh, swear away, <laughs> please. Um, yeah, that, and that's exactly what happened to me is out of college, I got a job with a salary that was super low and like underpaying me, undervaluing me. And so that is what led me to go into debt just because I couldn't, and I was living in Boston too, and I couldn't afford my lifestyle, which is crazy because it's such an expensive city, but not understanding how much money I needed to live and like to pay my rent and my expenses and also spending too much. It's just like, oh, and you must have experienced this too in Boston, because I think there was a realization too, where like, I don't, other people might not know this about Boston, but for some reason, every single person in Boston moves in September, like every single person yep. under the sun. Um, and if you have to move, it's like, minimum 10 grand to move because you have to pay first month's rent, last month's rent, a security deposit, movers. Like it is a chunk of change to move in Boston. And I just remember my roommate was leaving. Like she was, she had her job had moved her to Chicago and I was looking at like, holy crap, I need 10 K if, if I need to find a new apartment, if I can't find somebody to move in and I couldn't, that money didn't exist. Like I had a good job and I couldn't, I would not have been able to move. Like just paying the basic rent was like a paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And that's a slap in the face because you can't put that money on a credit card. You have to have it up front to give to, to (laughs) give to the broker. Oh God. I found out that you can put it on a credit card. Well, good thing I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh God! AJ found the AJ. Did you find the loophole? And are you still paying for it? (laughs) I know somebody who put security first month's rent on a credit card. That's crazy. I thought the whole point was like they need that money up front, like no credit allowed. Yeah, just so our listeners know, you actually can't put it on a credit card. (laughs) And you should not. Just assume that you can't. Yeah, you cannot. I think we're going to head into a big problem with that once all these, um, uh, right now we're at that place where um, um, eviction is gonna uh, start again. So. I think we're going to see that. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens to um, credit card debt in the next couple months. Definitely. Like I have a younger sister who's a senior right now in college and she is seeing her friends do that where it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I know I don't have a job and no one's hiring, but I have to move to the city in order to even like have an option of a job. So like okay, sure. Rent might go down in New York city because of the pandemic, but like you're, if you need to take out credit and move to New York city without a job, like you are screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then what happened? Like, how did you get, what, what did you do to figure out your finances and start budgeting? What happened? That is a great question too, because <laughs> I, I truly started feel a like podcast about financial. <laughs> 
that's one way to hold yourself accountable right there. I do think, and we can talk about this with our podcast too, but like, uh, I think that something that women specifically do best is creating a network of resources. So in the same way that I would go to my friends and ask for relationship advice, I really did start asking my friends, like, what are we doing? Like, what are you doing? You look like you have your stuff together. What's going on? And even more importantly, I started making those connections at work. So Catherine and I at the time were working at a big four consulting firm and I'm looking around and I'm like, all of these people that I work with make the same salary, if not more, they are my ultimate resource to figure out like what I should be doing right now. And so I started asking like, um, do you negotiate for your salary? What is your salary? What do you do with that salary? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I know those questions are so taboo, but I have never found that there was someone when I asked them a genuine question that they were like, whoa, slow your roll. Like we're not, we're not going there. Every single person who I have ever asked for help really wanted to either help me personally or put me in touch with somebody who could help. So I feel like even though, you know, someone wouldn't, you know, Catherine didn't sit down with me and be like, whoa, girl, this is a mess. But she, you know, my friends and my professional network and, you know, also just like Googling what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of resources out there that people can use if they ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important because it really does, like, there are these unwritten rules that money is a taboo topic, but I found similar things that, like, once you really start asking around, people are willing to help you and are willing to talk about it, and so it's really just about, like, opening up those those lines of communication and, like, really moving it away from this taboo topic so that that's not even an unwritten rule anymore, and we're just open and we talk about it. I'm also interested like, especially with the negotiation of salaries, like, did you, who taught you that? And like, how were you asking about that? Because I feel like, especially as women, that's something that we are not taught and we are not taught to ask for what we deserve. And so I'm interested what that experience was like for you. 1000%. And I mean, Catherine and I can definitely speak to this because, um, you know, at the big four consulting firm, there was sort of this group of girls that, you know, we're all different levels at the firm, but we all, you know, would go out for drinks and we became quite close. And like, I, I remember we were sitting at the bar one time and Catherine asked us, you know, what our salary was. And some people got very uncomfortable sharing. Um, but it was interesting because once we all did share, it was very apparent who was getting completely steamrolled and underpaid. Mm. And it was really something, you know, big for consulting, unlike a lot of jobs, you know, they kind of have this like hierarchy stepping stone ladder where it's like, yep, you go to the next role and you get paid this and you get to the next role and you pay this. But in a lot of ways, you need to be advocating for yourself. Like you need to be advocating for that, you know, five-star rating for your performance. You need, even if you're not advocating for, you know, a 5k raise, but you need to be making sure that your contributions, even if it's, you know, planning events or doing stuff that's, you know, underpaid, you need to be advocating 
for that payment. And I think it's really hard to say, you know, when I learned negotiation, but I think the more and more you do it and the more and more that you advocate for yourself, then negotiation isn't even like something that you have to like practice. Like right now I'm going into my negotiation. It's more just like something that naturally comes up when you're having a conversation with your boss or when you're having a conversation with, you know, somebody on our podcast, like negotiating really should become just like part of our lives. And Catherine, I'm sure you can speak to that too. Yeah. I, um, I learned how to negotiate my salary at the age of 29. <laughs> I mean, I tried, I did, I tried, <laughs> I tried in a few other jobs, but it was really, I mean, I had some weird jobs too. So I don't think I was dealing with like the typical professional situation. Like one of my jobs I was teaching in Poland for a period of time. And when you would go to like the director of the school there and ask for a raise, it was seen as like blackmail. Like she actually said to me, like, why are you blackmailing me? It was a very weird thing. So for me, like at least, you know, I was kind of late getting into the professional workforce anyway. And then when I did, I feel like it took Maybe I was 28, but it took quite a long time for me to get comfortable with demanding my worth. I am reading this book called Never Split the Difference about negotiating tactics and habits. Amazing book. Would highly recommend. It's actually like negotiating from an FBI perspective, but so useful in the real world. And I've already used it in a lot of different professional settings. So would recommend. (laughs) We'll definitely put it in the episode notes. I haven't read it, but I've heard multiple people um, suggest it. So it's going on the reading. I'm using it right now. I'm messing with mind tricks on everybody here. (laughs) I love it. Keep it, keep it going. (laughs) I wanted to highlight that I thought was really interesting because we're both in this podcast world of trying to get women to talk about money is that it's funny that money, money abundance is taboo, but shitting on money is not taboo. And everybody talks about how money is ruining their lives or causing them problems. And if this was just fixed or that was just fixed. And I just love that you highlighted that you, you and Amelie highlighted that because it is such a, um, it's, it's reframing the way that we view money and the way we talk about money as this thing that's negative as opposed to let's empower. And the fact that you asked that Catherine to, to a group of women and being like, we're sitting in this shared space, let's talk about this. Like that feels like almost tribal, like almost ancestral of are we all getting the same amount of resources and what do we need to do to elevate each other? Yeah, it was a total red tent moment. <laughs> if you get that <laughs> reference. <laughs> My favorite book of all time. <laughs> Love it. It's amazing. And so I have to ask you the question. Um, If you had to describe your relationship with money now in one word, what would it be? Ooh. I mean, we're recording this during Thanksgiving week. So I would say grateful. I would just say, especially right now with COVID, with, you know, everything that my money situation has given me during this really stressful period, I am just incredibly grateful. And I think having this gratitude mindset towards money right now is just um, it exactly what AJ said. It really gives um, an outlook of abundance. So it's been definitely changing, but I can't believe I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Wow. What a great ending to a complicated story. 
<laughs> Thanks for sharing with us. Um, Catherine, do you, do you want to share your money story? Yeah. I'm not sure mine is going to be as like easy to follow as Katie's. <laughs> um, I'm a little flittier. I jump around. So you just keep me back on, get me back on track if I go too far off. Um, so similar to Katie, my money story, again, it starts at home, right? You see how your parents or your caregivers manage money and you look at those relationships around you. And I just came from a very traditional family setup and extended family setup where the husband went to work, the wife stayed home for the most part, maybe worked part-time. Her main role was taking care of the kids. And in my parents' home specifically, my dad made the money, but didn't manage it. So he would actually like, he literally brought home the bacon and my mom like divided up into a million pieces, like try to make it turn into more food probably than it was shop at discount grocery stores, you know, feed a family of three on the equivalent of basically my dad's salary, which he was a teacher, um, a vocational arts teacher. So he's a chef, an instructor, a chef instructor and, or was, um, before he retired. And when money was tough, my dad would then go and get a second job working in restaurants or, you know, he grew up in the service industry. Both my parents were the children of Greek immigrants and they, you know, they always, service is a big thing for the Greeks. It's actually in our, I think in our, like it's, it's in our spirit to host and entertain. So it's very natural. Mm -hmm. A lot of Greeks get into the service industry um, when they, especially when they came over to the U S. So I grew up always seeing that when money's tight, you work harder. Right. When you don't have money, work harder, not necessarily work smarter or divide and conquer. Right. It kind of took on like my dad was the work, like the workhorse. My mom was like the manager. So I saw that. And then I would say my real money kind of lessons kicked off when I went to college. Um, I'm the third. So I'm the youngest of three kids. I have two older brothers. And for varying reasons. One didn't go to college, one started, but didn't finish. So everything was kind of on me to like go and be the golden child. Like, you know, I was on that like academic track. I was going to college. This was really exciting. And my parents were like, we're not going to tell you where you can't can or can't go. Um, and I picked like this super expensive liberal arts college to go to, right? I wanted something different from where I grew up, which was an inner city. It was you know, there was like not much grass, whatever. And I picked this like small, quaint college town. And I had absolutely no realization of how much money it actually was. Oh, yeah. And that I would say my, to so many people, I think. It does. And like, I, I think it's so irresponsible that we ask people to make that decision at 18 or 17. I was 17 yeah. when I was applying to college, right? So oh, irresponsible. I remember my parents... I think they were like, well, we can't squash her dreams. Like, you know, for my mom, especially it's like, oh, she's, you know, a good student. She's going to go to college. I didn't go to college or I didn't finish college. So I really want her to, but there was also a lot of guilt that came with that support because my parents did what I would never advise other people to do now, having lived through it, which was like, they remortgaged their house to help me pay for college. I got scholarships right? To co to cover, like, I remember there was like this book of scholarship that you could apply for. And I must have applied for like, seriously, 300 scholarships my senior year of, co of college trying to get money, like this random Greek American scholarship here. 
like seriously. they're real they're real no, because i've applied to like seven thousand scholarships and like no money comes from oh them. maybe the so greeks like- were more generous katie i don't know <laughs> I'm like, I'm like <laughs> what is this <laughs> that is like cobbling it together right i was like okay i was just i was literally like picking up the sofa cushions getting money from anywhere i could find it because i wanted to go to college this is what everybody did it was what i should do And I do remember my dad saying to me, you can go to this fancy liberal arts college, but please don't become a teacher. (laughs) So, you know, clearly there was an awareness there. Like, please just make sure like, like we're cutting you off at 21. So like, make sure that whatever it is you get out of this, you can sustain yourself. And like, I can tell you right now, a teacher salary isn't going to help you pay back the loans that you're taking out on it. How sad is it that a teacher's salary won't pay for an education? Isn't like, that just like oh so ironic? It it's so paradoxical. Mind. It makes me so. It makes me so mad. I okay. I'm not. And that you need to get it, a master's but... to be a teacher too. So it's double, yep. double the schooling basically. Yep, yep, yep. And I think it's so interesting when you think about like an 18 year old coming up with like the career that they want. Like, and 90 percent of the people that they've been exposed to are teachers. So it's like unless someone actually was like, here are all these different options that you can do with history and math and science. Like. of them like, oh, I can do chemistry and then become a chemistry teacher. Like, that's what you're exposed to. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. It's such a good point. I think teachers deserve millions of dollars. They do. They're so underpaid. And it's like every time there's a Super Bowl win and they get these giant rings and like all of these checks, I'm like, why are we not doing this for teachers? I don't get it. Like, just redistribute some of that wealth, guys. Like, each of them should just donate a million dollars to their local school district. And I feel like this would really help out the community of educators out in the world. But that's probably an episode for another day. All the time. (laughs) So, yeah. So I I just, there are these like, memories, right. That kind of pop up. And that was a really pivotal moment for me. Um, the next one was sitting down at that loan exit interview, which is the, I call it the big reveal. It's like the gender reveal, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) they sit you down, right. Like you've been accruing all this debt over the four years of education. And, And I will say like, I'm not taking away credit from my parents. I'm also not like giving them all the credit. It was very much a shared burden. Like it was, My parents made sacrifices. Like Katie, I had been working summer jobs. I like my money was mine to spend, but I need I did use it for things like food and other other things in college. I went for no, I went without rather I wanted for nothing. I had everything I needed, but it was still stressful. I felt the stress. I I remember demanding every college professor put their book in the library so that I could go lo- like go and photocopy it because I refused. Mm-hmm after dropping like $400 my freshman year on books and realizing obviously I wasn't going to keep them forever. This was before Amazon, fun fact, or before it was popular. That was really smart of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like would demand that they put the book on hold in the library so I could go and photocopy because I was like, why should I spend money to buy your book? Like I'm already spending all this money to come to your class. Like there were these little moments where I did kind of stand up for myself of like, okay, I'm not going to starve because I need this book. Um, so I just, that has nothing to do with how I value education, by the way. I just feel like I should add that. <laughs> no, it, it's honestly a good point though, because it, it just adds up. It just adds up. And it when does. you're a, a college student who's trying to like make ends meet, $400 on books is a ton of money. So much. And it was like one of my scholarships, right? And I was looking mm-hmm. at it and I was like, oh my God, that whole scholarship is gone now. Like, I, and that, and after year one, you can't reuse it. Like it's not, you know, it was just sunk cost. Yeah. So Let's fast forward 
big exit interview. I get the, like the envelope and you open it up and everybody sits there. Like literally you feel the energy in the room completely drop because we're all excited to graduate. And then this person hands you this envelope and they're like, oh, you owe. And at the time it was $18,000 in student loans, um, which I had no concept of what that amount was, what I, how I was going to earn it. I didn't have a job. Um, but I also knew I was on my own. Like I, I knew like, okay, I can defer. I can, you know, I was hearing all these buzzwords flying around the room, like defer hardship, you know, grace period. And I was like, well, I'm definitely doing the grace period. I can tell you that much. Like it's going to take at least six months to find a job. And so for me, I, I did know once I graduated, my money was my problem. And I'm actually very grateful for that. So to Katie's point, I know like there are people out there whose parents help them and it's such a blessing when they can, but I do think it just probably delayed, it would otherwise delay my ability to own it. So I, I am grateful that it, for me, it was, okay, you're cut off now. Like you're on your own. For me also, I knew looking back at those kind of traditional gendered roles at home that and, and in my wider family, I didn't. I knew money was power and I didn't want either of those burdens, whether it was managing the money or earning the money to only fall on me. So my next smartest thing was picking a partner who felt the same way about that in life. He grew up with working parents and saw a division of responsibilities across a, a variety of categories in managing a home and a family. And I think that was a really important thing that I knew about myself and I found in my partner. And We've had a ton of adventures together. Um, I think the biggest one, though, was after college, I picked up and moved to London to be with my now husband. So he was from Amazing. Poland. <laughs> yeah, he was from Poland. I was from the U.S. We met when he came over on a study abroad program and we like cobbled our life together. And I knew what a love story. I know, I know. I'll save that for your love episode. But you know, <laughs> but I I knew I wanted to go to London. I knew my parents weren't gonna help me. And I knew I needed to make it happen. And I did exactly what Katie was talking about. I literally booked a one-way ticket to London. At the time you could do this like exchange postgrad program. Um, I had no job lined up. I showed up with my bags and was like, okay, let's rock and roll, right? So, I mean, I showed up in London and it turns out when you're not educated in a country and you have no network and no one knows what your university was or what you studied, it's actually really challenging. And you have a six month cap on how long you can work. It was really challenging to find a job. Um, so I ended up working reception in, in, a, in a recruitment agency, which I mean, like $80,000 of student loan, not student loans, but of spent money on on education in a very exclusive private liberal arts college to receptionists. Like the two things just don't really line up, but Hey, yeah. I had to, I had to eat. Um, and I remember saying to, I can't remember who it was, someone at work at the time, you know, I, I actually don't have money for rent. Like I'm about to move into my apartment and I just got this job, but the like payday is going to come after my first rent deposit is due or something was due. And that was the first time I remember to an earlier point, standing up for myself and asking for something, but I had to do it only like I was pushed up against a wall. Right. I, I, right. so I went to the MD of this company and I said, 
I'm, I'm not able, like, I'd love to work here, but if I don't get paid in advance for two weeks, I'm, I can't because I won't have rent money. And I remember he came out and wrote me a personal check from his personal checkbook. Wow. And I still have goosebumps thinking about it because I was just like Guardian this random angel. person, right? <laughs> I was this random person. off, the, And for him, it probably wasn't a ton of money, but that gesture was huge because without it, I wouldn't have had an apartment to live in, right? I mean, it's just astounding to me that it took kind of feeling like I was starving to ask to ask for help. But that was probably the yeah. first time I realized I could ask. Um, and that was something that I've carried with me. Um, I feel like I'm going all over the place, but no, this is great. Over time, I realized that, you know, I, I at least did not accrue any additional debt. So the fear of not having enough money kept me from overspending. And if anything, I kind of like retreated. So I would buy like 17 pent like pasta, you know, and like there was no eating out. There was no partying. You know, it was a very like insular, protective, like, you know, keep every penny and and try to to figure it out. I didn't have a budget, but I definitely was very, very conscious of what I was spending and where I could shave it down even further. Um, it wasn't until I started earning money probably at 28 where I realized, okay, I'm earning a salary. I should start saving for, I don't know what. And yeah, I mean, like I was just totally naive. Like I just had no, no awareness and living in London, there's not much money left over to Katie's point, right? Like expensive cities. There's really like, if you don't prioritize the spending, it's not going to happen on its own. I distinctly remember asking Catherine, like maybe like second day of meeting her, like, what am I supposed to be saving for? That was a genuine (laughs) question. Like I was like, so I know like I want to get married and like have a kid and like buy a house one day, but like, when do you like, how does that happen? Start saving for daycare now. Yeah. What is happening? What did you do? Did you like hand her like a, like a 523 form and you're like, this is for your kid's college? Like 529. Here it is. Yeah. 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 Totally sympathize with that, Catherine. Cause I was like, yeah, like, I guess when I'm like 28 or 30, like that money just like drops in my account. And then I like go do all these adult things. Yeah. 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 And you know, like I will, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, at the same time, how are you supposed to know? You know, like, if nobody teaches you these things, like, who's going to tell you, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's like giving yourself a little grace for that because you have to either, like, teach yourself or somebody has to tell you in order for you to to start saving for these things. That's the thing. And, like, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm, you know how they talk about how people are spenders or savers. I'm definitely a spender. Like I'm, if I compare myself to my husband, I'm like very happy to spend. Obviously there was a minimum denominator there that I couldn't go below or beneath and I wasn't willing to take out debt. So I'm very grateful that I didn't have that going on. But I, I knew that I wanted financial freedom. I knew that I wanted a financial future. I didn't know where the money needed to go, but I knew I needed to save somehow. So I did start putting into like a pension in the UK because I was working and living there. And then, you know, I negotiated my salary with each little career move, but I kind of, I will say I didn't start earning a real salary until almost 30. Um, When my husband and I were moving to New York and from London 
And that was like the real first chance I had to properly negotiate my salary. And I was in a really powerful position because I was still working at the same big four firm and I was planning to not transfer, but like quit, resign in one and get hired in the other. But I was in a really good position because I have a U.S. passport, right? Like I'm American. So I didn't have to stay with the same firm. So it would be a benefit to our firm in New York to hire me because I already knew the tools. I already knew the systems. I already had a network. I had already worked with people in New York from London. Like I had already been at the company. So for them, I was like an easy experienced hire. And also for me, it was nice to know I would potentially get to work for the same company didn't have to go be a completely new fish. And so I worked really hard on that negotiation. I mean, I had a spreadsheet. I was going off and like having conversations with everybody I knew at my level in New York, at the next level in New York, two levels above me in New York who were living in London to figure out like, what are the bands? I was asking partners, tell me what the bands are because I expect to be at the top of like my salary band. Like if you're going to get experienced higher results out of me with all of this knowledge and network and everything, all of the above that I bring, I know you need to pay me top dollar. And I think I negotiated three times. Yeah. And that was like, that was, I think I did three, three, yeah, three times. Mm -hmm. That's because, yeah, well, because I realized I can say no. That's the best time you can negotiate, right? Like when you know you can walk away. Because for me, I had a U.S. passport. I was coming with my husband who was being transferred. So I knew we had money to survive, right? Like I wasn't going to starve and I could go work for a competitor or some other company. And so I worked them really, really hard to get what I needed. And I remember again, you know, on that point of like asking for things. So the second time in my career that I was really direct in asking for something (laughs) at the time I had like 25 vacation days in Europe because you just get like a better vacation package. And I was transferring to New York and it was going to drop to 15, like two weeks basically. And I remember saying, I want to negotiate my vacation time. Like I'm not going from 25 down to 15. And they were like, well, we just can't do that. It's not until you make manager that you get 20. And I was like, well, you could make me a manager or you can give me a 5k signing bonus to, so I can take that time unpaid. Like I, these are your options. And I remember clearing that with the partner first before I went and found out. And I had a partner like emailing another partner in New York being like, Hey, could you help her out with this? Like, it was like, I, again, it was like, for me, I was desperate. I was like, how can you take that vacation time away from me? Absolutely not. This is, this is analogous to that situation of I need this in order to survive when I asked that boss for that, you know, advance on my paycheck very early on in my career. For me, it was like, you're pushing me up against a wall. Like I can't, I can't live without that vacation time. So it needs to be part of my package. Um, and I just remember feeling very powerful in that moment. And oh, yeah. it's the best time to negotiate because you are willing yeah. to say, okay, can't, it's not going to work out. I'll leave. I think that's so valuable for people to listen to because most people will call somebody like a AT&T and they'll call once to try to lower their plan and they say no and they hang up and they go, I can't do it. Or they call, they'll try to refinance their student loans and they're like, they said no. And then they never try again. And you tried three times and like how like opposite of how many women feel like disempowered to even ask for, to go to lunch for an hour for you to be like, no, I'm going to stand in my worth and in my power. Like that's, that's life-changing. 
And it was. Yeah. And it's also just a perfect example of what financial freedom can give you because when you're not backed up against a wall and you do have an emergency fund or you feel like you have money to fall back on, then you're going to be way more empowered to actually negotiate and ask for what you deserve because you do have that fallback plan. And so it's, that's like the a perfect example of why it's so important to have your finances in order and have that emergency fund because then when it comes to negotiations you actually do have the flexibility to go back one two three times yeah although full disclosure I will say my finances weren't exactly in order at that point (laughs) because I mean we were again we were never living beyond our means we were always living like right at our means so there wasn't an emergency fund and I at this point now in my career, had also done a master's program. Fun fact, I did it in Europe where it costs way less. So, Mm. you know, education is more accessible. Um, I did the same program for a fraction of the cost of what I would have paid to do it here at a very reputable major university. Um, And so when I, when I, um, was moving to the U S I do think part of that power in negotiating was also like, okay, I've got 40,000 now in student loans. Cause don't forget Mm. I had like 18 K from undergrad that I had just been paying like minimums on. Um, I knew I had to get smart and get serious about paying off that student loan debt. Cause there was no way like I could build wealth if I was still paying off interest. Right. And like the two just didn't, match in my head. And I know there are financial experts out there that disagree. And, you know, I'm not here to debate necessarily that strategy. It's just for me internally, it felt like if I don't pay off this debt, I will not move forward. And so as a result of negotiating my salary very heavily, I was able to pay off the 40K in, I think, 10 months living in New York City. That's incredible. Wow. Amazing. And it's a good thing I did because it turns out I was pregnant and like very quickly we knew we had other costs coming up that we were, (laughs) that's like, again, a whole other episode, but we, you know, we totally like hunkered down and we're just like throwing everything we had at the student loan. And I also had the help of, of a spouse, right? So I'm not also downplaying this. I have to acknowledge that it wasn't one, you know, just me paying it off. It was the two of us taking on that shared responsibility. But we got very, very serious about it. And by the time my daughter was born, well, my daughter was born in November and I paid off my student loans in January. Wow. Yeah, seriously, claps for you. That is- That's the way to do it though. Like 10 months of saving and paying off debt at the same time is not gonna make a big difference in the long term. Like if you had spent three years paying off debt, that'd be another conversation. But the fact that you combined your resources and you hunkered down, I mean, like- that's incredible. That must have felt so good. It was, you know what? And it was like we knew we had this life we wanted to build, and it was like this dead weight that was just kind of pulling us back. And incidentally, my husband's from Europe, so he had no student loans. So I think he was kind of like, "All right, it all averages out in the wash. Like, our money's our money. Let's just get it done." Because you're you're holding me back, girl. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about what that time actually looked like in order for you to be able to pay that off and also yeah. save for, for your future? So we moved to Jersey City out of mm. Manhattan. We shopped at ShopRite. We went out to eat once every two weeks. We didn't buy anything extra. I think I thrifted or got gifted everything for the, the baby. I mean, incidentally, babies don't cost a lot of money. The baby itself. 
Um, and we were just really, really, uh, we, that's when we did start like a, um, monitoring our spend very carefully like spreadsheets budgets we did the emergency like we found a ramsey and we did like those baby steps like we would read we read that book together and we're like okay you know this is very practical we're just gonna go through these steps one by one um for us it was very user-friendly that method so um yeah i think it was it was just it really was like laser focus yeah so then how did sense. you decide I'm going to go, I think we're going to move a, a few years, but how did you decide I'm going to go start a podcast and empower other women to talk about money or even just how did you get to that place with yeah. that conversation and that bar? I feel like I, so all that time I had thought it was just me, right? I mean, and especially in like a big four firm, you do tend to work with some pretty privileged people. And I felt like I was like this scrappy person who just kind of like, got in the back door in a way, but like most of the people I met, their parents were helping them with their renter or I thought, so I thought, um, or I thought they didn't have student loans or they all just seemed so put together because they were right. We all are. And we all appear that way, especially for clients. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I, it probably was Katie's questions that made me say, well, hold on a second. I don't want like, if I, if I, I wish I had someone like me to ask those questions of very honestly, without fear of retribution or any penalty. Um, and I would love to help Katie avoid some of the mistakes I made. Like, so if I could tell her, like, go do your, your master's in Europe or get your company to pay for it. So you're not paying for it out of pocket, then I should be sharing that information. Like I need to be sharing the lessons that I learned and basically paying it forward, right? I, I'm always reminded of a smart person learns from another another person's mistakes, a wise, I'm screwing it up, guys. Okay. <laughs> uh, a smart person learns from their own mistakes. A wise person learns from others. And it makes sense. <laughs> like, it, it's like, why would I let Katie go and make the same missteps if I could help her avoid some of those landmines. And I do remember Katie and I were distinctly, we were having a conversation where I explained to Katie, whatever you do, when you buy your first property, house, whatever it is, make sure you add about 2000 to two and a half thousand dollars a month on top of that for one kid in daycare, right? Like your mortgage should not be dependent on two salaries because one of those salaries is probably going to have to get cut into for childcare. Yeah. And that was it. That was a lesson that I was lucky enough to not, I didn't make a, a massive mistake with that, but I had seen friends get into that situation where they had bought a house or an, a condo in like the perfect location or it's beautiful and large and all that. And they literally were delaying starting having a family, even though they knew they wanted that because they couldn't afford the childcare. And I just remember thinking like, Ooh, like that's not, you know, that's not for me. And I'm also making sure that a lot of the people that come and talk to me in my network who say they want to have a family know what the real deal is, which is that childcare, good, reputable childcare that you're going to want to put your child into is going to cost you probably more than or the same as a mortgage. I think Catherine yeah. and I really, though, when it comes down to like us creating the podcast, we just realized that there's so much 
lived experience and so many willing, women specifically willing to share their experiences. And I feel like there's so, we all learn from hearing stories, which is, I'm so glad you guys are doing this podcast and having people share their stories because we learn through each other's stories that's what all these books are about is people sharing their stories and we can do it in a shame-free guilt-free and community way which is what we hope to do on our podcast yeah that that's a beautiful way of saying it and I think storytelling has is also like an ancient art it's been around since the beginning of time and culture and so really like empowering others through storytelling and through through sharing your own stories like that's the way to do it so I love it. And I think that this space is like, there's an abundance of space for all women to tell their stories and share their stories. And so in my book, like the more podcasts that are doing this, the better, because like, I just want women to find the information that they need, no matter how, what that looks like. So I, I really love it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm done being told like what I should wear to this next meeting or how yes. I should juggle shit, like start telling me how to build wealth. And I want to be seeing it <laughs> from, you know, 20 different directions. I'm sick of hearing like how I need to fit in with everybody else's idea of what I should look like or how much sex I should be having or, you know, like what I should be eating. How about we talk about what really matters, which is that financial freedom and security is the key to a happy life. Notice I didn't say being rich. I'm just saying financial security. And I think that is the perfect way to end on that note. So oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And on that note, what do you guys want to promote? Where can people find you? What is the name of your podcast? Tell us everything. <laughs> so we are the 411K. We have a website, the411k.com, and you can listen to our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at the underscore 411k. Thanks, guys. Lovely. Um, and we always end our episodes with three things that we're grateful for. Um, so we'd love to have you start, whoever wants to. Um, go for it. Catherine, you go first. Okay. <laughs> three things. This always happens. Oh, yeah. And like, Catherine, like other take, people. <laughs> take your no. one word to describe your relationship with oh, money. Yes, absolutely. Fluid. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I would say fluid. Like I try so not to ha- hang on. Yeah, I try not to like <laughs> hang on it too much. You know, like it it comes, it goes. Like it's very fluid. Um. Okay. And then my, my three things that I'm grateful for. Um. My health, first and foremost. Um. My husband, because he just walked in the room. And he's literally doing this to me, like, hurry up, I need to go. Um, and then my, my children, really, I mean, I think for, for me, that is, that's the essence, right? For me, life is family, the rest is all great to have, but those are the three. Love it. I would say my three are great um, financial freedom and a change in the administration. Yes, <laughs> great one. Great one. 
<laughs> a peaceful transition of power. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. My three are family dentists. I'm going to go see one right now. Uh, <laughs> um, my seven month emergency fund. Yay. And, um, and I, I said it the other day, but I was, I didn't, I budgeted. So I didn't have to take money out of my savings for my wedding dress. So that hey. was nice. <laughs> that's awesome. I am grateful for communities of women like this one where we can share and talk about money and it's not taboo and we can tell our stories and be accepted and learn from each other just all around. Um, I'm grateful for my family um, for sure, especially during these, this holiday season, the fact that they're like very close by part of my pod. I am so grateful. Um, and I am grateful for also my health for sure, especially during this time. I'm just so grateful that I have a healthy body and I have access to healthy food. So, so grateful. Amazing. And on that note, it was so, so lovely to have you on. I think we're going to have to have you back to keep chatting because I could talk to you for hours and hours. (laughs) Uh, But thank you so much for sharing your money stories. This is Everybody's Bad With Money, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thanks, ladies. Bye. Of course. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.